Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Schechter. How many times have we heard that our divisions are a kind of extinction-level event, threatening the very fabric of the Republic? And yet history tells us that we've survived far, far worse, be it the Civil War, McCarthyism, violent labor strife at the turn of the last century, political assassination, and of course, the strife of the 1960s. To try and put all this in the context in the home stretch of this political season, I'm joined by Julian Zelzer. He is one of the pioneers in understanding American political history. He's the author and editor of numerous books. His most recent is The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. He's a frequent commenter in the international and national media on political history, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here. Julian Zelzer, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. We keep hearing over and over again that this election season is so unprecedented, that the divisions among us are, are worse than they have ever been. Try and put this in, in a broader political context, because certainly uh, we have been through pretty tough times as a country, and we've always gotten through to the other side. Sure. We've had many tough times. Obviously, in the 19th century, we had a civil war where the nation literally ripped into two and was fighting with each other militarily, not simply politically and rhetorically. In the late 19th century, after the civil war, we had a period of intense partisanship. Uh, In the mid-20th century, McCarthyism and the early Cold War uh, was a period where both sides uh, were really engaged in very fierce battles. And uh, certainly many Democrats felt they were coming under attack, not only for having the wrong set of policies, but for allegations of treason. Um, and then fast forward to the 60s, where we saw some of the most contentious fights ever uh, on issues such as war and race uh, that anyone who lived through that generation remembers. So Uh, These are contentious times, and there's a lot of bitter division right now, but it isn't the first time that we've gone through this. Is there anything particularly unique that you're seeing in the division today, in the partisanship today, in the way all of this is playing out? Well, there's two parts that are important. Part of the division that we have today, beyond Donald Trump, is simply... Like in the late 19th century, the electorate is very polarized. So that means that voters are just less willing under most circumstances to shift from one side to another. That's different than the 1960s, for example, where both parties were very divided and you had voters who would move back and forth. Uh, And now we have a new kind of media that's emerged in the last 15, 20 years, both as as a result of cable Uh, the Internet, and also more partisan news coverage. Uh, And that combination has created a unique 24-hour instant kind of news environment uh, where many views are partisan, where many views are politically pointed. So, uh, again, elements of this you can find in the past, but I think the combination very much defines today. And Donald Trump has been, in many ways, a distinct candidate. I do think there's some truth to that that we have not seen before. When we look at the influence and the impact in the ways that you talked about of the media, 24-7 coverage, the the way all of this comes at us all the time, is there a greater danger in your view for kind of lasting damage to the country because of that? 
It could be, uh, meaning that this is not particular to this election. So some of the changes in political rhetoric, for example, that many people have looked at, where the rhetoric itself isn't just becoming in civil, uh, more less civil, it's becoming more contentious. Uh, some of what we've seen that in the news, there's often fabrication of facts that goes unchecked and is out there, and it's part of how we now conduct our political dialogue. Uh, that will continue to shape our polity. And I do think that's more of a long-run concern rather than something that just revolves around this election. As we look at it over the long run, do you see any way out of this? Or do you see that we're, we're stuck in this cycle? And is there some historical precedent for that? Well, one thing that can happen, and I think we're all waiting to see, is if the Republican campaign this year proves to be disastrous, meaning if Donald Trump uh, loses, and he doesn't just lose by what other Republicans in recent elections have lost by, but loses in the kind of landslide that we haven't seen in a long time, kind of landslide we saw in 1964 when Lyndon Johnson just devastates Barry Goldwater, that could really lead to the Republicans starting to rethink their basic strategy and to look more closely at certain elements of their coalition that allowed for Donald Trump to emerge. And I think that could have a really important long-term effect. We don't know if that will happen. It might be that many Republicans end up voting Republican, even if they don't like Donald Trump, so the, the loss wouldn't be as devastating and wouldn't cause those kinds of changes. In terms of the media, Part of it will depend on listeners and viewers and readers and, and what kind of demand they place on the press. Uh, but there are opportunities that have emerged within the existing media world because of the Internet in particular, but also the proliferation of cable channels that do give space for innovative and new kinds of journalism. And there's a lot of interesting journalists out there. So I don't feel that we're necessarily trapped in this moment. I think there's lots of space for creative writers and thinkers and broadcasters to remake journalism in ways that we've seen happen in the past. Of course, the other side is that there's an awful lot of noise out there and it gets more and more difficult to be heard, particularly right. given how many sources and outlets there are. That's absolutely true. And that won't change. I don't, I think Technology has opened up the space that journalism has in ways that are going to be difficult to reverse. And uh, I think there will be a lot of noise in the future. That's not going to go away anytime soon. So it's going to be a more competitive environment. There will be more pressure to gain the attention of viewers, listeners, and readers. But again, that creates opportunities for younger, more innovative journalists in ways that didn't exist when you just had the news being disseminated by a handful of three networks and a handful of city papers. You talked about the, the Goldwater debacle in 1964. It took essentially 16 years for the Republican Party to recover from that and, and ultimately elect Ronald Reagan in 1980. Given the degree to which things are speeded up today because of all of these things that we've been talking about, even if it is a crushing defeat for Trump, do you see it being a faster process for the Republican Party to recover? 
It could be. I mean, the the one thing that many observers are looking at is that even if everything goes well for the Democrats, even if it goes well in terms of the congressional elections, 2018, just because of the number of seats that will be open and, and the particular seats that are going to open, might be difficult for Democrats. So you might have the kind of backlash midterm election where the Republicans are reinvigorated. And uh, a, a devastating loss combined with a quick reinvigoration could lead the party to change course more quickly. Uh, also, the Democratic president might not be one who is particularly loved, uh, rather than someone who won with Donald Trump uh, performing the way that he did. So uh, I think it, it is possible we don't have to have a 16-year lag for the reconstruction of the party. But that has to be balanced with the fact that Donald Trump's success has been rooted in very important elements of the Republican Party. It didn't come out of nowhere, this nomination. And uh, I think right now you have a Republican Party where they are fighting an internal civil war of sorts. And I don't know how quickly they are going to be able to resolve this. You hear a lot to that point about the realignment of the Republican Party and, and kind of reassessing what it stands for, who's part of it, who isn't, and, and, and maybe a third party emerging from all of this. How realistic is that? Very unrealistic at this point. Not that a third party might not emerge, but it's, it's still unlikely they'll be successful. Historically, third parties have not done well in the United States. Uh, usually they're successful at putting certain issues on the table, even propelling certain candidates into the spotlight. Uh, but in the long run, the two parties we have have endured now for, for a long, long time. And organizationally, the parties are very strong right now in terms of their fundraising capacity in terms of their ability to mobilize voters. Uh, the Republicans, even though they're struggling in the presidential election, are doing very well still at the state and local level. And there's a lot of evidence they're still in pretty good shape in terms of House uh, competition. So uh, I don't think a third party is going to easily find space, not to emerge, but to actually become one of the new major parties. Is there something unique in all of this, in looking at the Republican Party, between the party as a national party and, to your point, how well it's done, particularly on the state levels? Yeah, uh, I, I think the Republicans have had a strategy where they've put most of their money, most of their energy in state and local politics. It was an interesting decision. It starts around 2010. Uh, Obama's been president for two years. And, and while they want the White House, that's not where they concentrate all their efforts. And their effort is to win as many state capitals uh, as possible and to control the redistricting process, to have redistricting that's favorable to the GOP. And it's to put money into expanding the size of the House uh, coalition, which has worked. We now have a Republican majority that is at historically high levels. And so state, local, and congressional races have been where the Republicans have really done quite well. And there's a disconnect with where they've been in, in presidential races. And, um, you know, Democrats were a little bit like this between Lyndon Johnson and Bill Clinton, although obviously Jimmy Carter won, but, but they were much stronger locally and congressionally than they were uh, in terms of, of the presidential race. Again, the question is, does Donald Trump create this unexpected opportunity 
for Democrats to start to break in at the local level where Republicans have had such a lock on power. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that we've seen emerge big time in, in this election cycle is kind of this populist rise. And we've seen that happen so many times historically. Is there anything unique about it? Or is this just something that seems to happen periodically in American history? Well, we've had many moments of populism in the late 19th century. During the middle of the New Deal, you have uh, Charles Coughlin and Huey Long. Uh, and to some extent, people say you have a conservative populism with George Wallace in the 60s. So, you know, when there are serious structural problems in the economy, sometimes because of a depression, but also sometimes because of the way the economy works, there are politicians who tap into that anger and frustration. There's also politicians who understand that underlying the United States polity are deep racial animosities and anxieties about immigration and nativism. And there's some candidates who can tap into that. And I think we're seeing a moment like that. Uh, what, what some people ask about Donald Trump or wonder is how much does he believe any of this? He's not tied to a populist movement uh, the kind we saw in the 19th century. And his own views are really unclear. Um, so I think that's what makes him a little bit different than some of the surges of populism with candidates that we've seen in the past. The other thing that that we seem to be learning from this election cycle is that campaigns matter, that, that there does require a certain degree of professionalism and a certain set of rules with respect to national campaigns. That's true. Uh, you know, campaigns matter, elections matter, uh, and certainly what the, if Hillary Clinton wins and she both wins the primary challenge she won against Bernie Sanders and then basically is able to have a pretty successful outcome against the more eclectic campaign of Donald Trump, it will suggest that even though the new social media creates opportunities for maverick candidates, and even if the party is not always as strong as we think, organization still matters, professional campaign operations still matter, and long-term uh, game plans still matter in elections. And I think we often, when we get caught up in the a moment with a unexpected competition, we think it's all changed and it's all gone. And, and I just don't think that's the case. And I think 2016 might prove that. Julian Zelzer, thanks so much for spending time with us here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you.